welcome to the Be Kind Podcast with your host, Joe Kirkner, presented by the Animal Advocates of South Central Pennsylvania. Joe Kirkner here, and today I am off-site from our normal studio talking here with Jeff from Whispering Rise Animal Farm Sanctuary. Yes. And we just got done doing a cool project volunteering. We built a fence, people were spraying hay, all to help out the pigs and other non-human animals at the Farm Animal Sanctuary. So before I try and explain what the Farm Sanctuary is and tell about the background of it, I just wanted to give Jeff the floor so you can talk about the Whispering Rise, what you do and how you got there and what it means to you. Thank you. I'm Jeff Lambert. I'm the founder and CEO of the Sanctuary. We've been in business for 10 years now. I uh, started the Sanctuary. I started the background work in 2010. And I, I had a plan to do a dog rescue. In 2009, I went out to Best Friends Animal Sanctuary in Utah to do a training on how to start an animal sanctuary. It's an eight-day training. And on about day five, I wandered down to the pig rescue and just fell in love with the pigs. I knew nothing about, I had heard of potbelly pigs, I knew nothing about potbelly pigs, I knew nothing about the pet pig trade. The manager of the pig sanctuary asked me to take a pig for a walk, pig named Jack. So she gave me a bag of popcorn, told me to walk Jack down the road and back, don't let him go into the fruit trees. He got into the fruit trees and I was really kind of smitten by their behavior, how smart they are and really didn't realize how much of a need there is for pig rescue. The pet pig trade is really unscrupulous. Breeders continuously breed these pigs to and convince buyers that they're gonna stay a certain size. Uh, you met a number of pigs today that breeders sold to the owners with the belief that the pig would stay 35 or 40 pounds and then they hit 175 or 200 pounds and it can no longer live in your apartment. So that kind of spurred me to start an, a pig rescue, a pig sanctuary, to try to have a place for some of these pigs that, that needed homes. And if these pigs weren't coming here at your sanctuary, where would they be? That's, that's a question I can't answer, I don't know. Um, my heart breaks over the pigs that I can't bring into the sanctuary. I am limited by space and number. I get so many requests to take pigs that I can't, I can only take a tiny portion of them. We try to work with families to, to come up with ways to, to make it work. A lot of folks will, will get a single pig. Easily 98% of the calls they get about problem pigs are from single pig homes. We'll try to work with the families to come up with strategies to keep the pig occupied or get a companion pig which typically by that point is not something they can wrap their heads around. Oh, it didn't work with one pig, so you want me to get a second pig. I mean, it's hard to convince them that two pigs are easier than one, but we'll work with them on some strategies to enrich their pig's life, to keep them busy, to keep them mentally occupied, because what will happen is, if they're not living in an enriched environment and are not occupied with something that's stimulating them, they'll start digging up woodwork and floors and doorways and I mean they can create a lot of problems and they'll even become aggressive. We have a number of aggressive pigs who have come into the sanctuary. We have a herd, an entire herd of pigs that had a, a, a background of aggressive behavior. The pig we moved today, Annabelle, came from a home, came from a family where she had bitten everyone in the family. 
and it was because as a single pig she saw the children and visitors she saw the children as part of her herd that she had to manage and visitors as intruders into that herd and they had to be put in their place as well that's so fascinating that the pigs saw humans as part of their herd yeah. that it shows the intelligence and compassion that exists within these non-human animals that I feel like most people take for granted when they hear pork or bacon. Yeah. When people say butt bacon or whatever other baloney they want to say to justify eating the flesh of these dead animals, they don't realize that these animals are so capable of love and connection to people outside their own species. And I think that's a fantastic example. Yes, yes. They have a complex social hierarchy. Each herd, if there's 12 pigs in a herd, they know where they stand in that social hierarchy, 1 to 12. Introducing pigs to a herd can be a time-consuming and a bit of a complex problem because you don't want them to fight to the point where they're injured, but fighting is going to occur. So we introduce pigs to herds very carefully. I think that's one of the reasons that they're so intelligent. You see on these lists that they often rank as the fourth intelligent, most intelligent animal because they have to navigate through a social structure, you know, that can that can get complicated. You know, I don't know how pigs think. Maybe one day they wake up and think, gee, I'm number eight in the pecking order. I think today I want to try to move up to number seven. And we can really get a good sense on where they stand in the pecking order. The little test that I always did was, let's say in a herd of 10 pigs, I would get 10 pans of food, put them in a large circle, and then watch and see which pigs are moving other pigs away from the pan. Because if I'm an alpha pig and there is a subordinate pig right here, not only do I want my food, I want to take his food as well. Sharing is not part of their culture. It's the principle it, of the thing, right? It's the principle <laughs> of the thing, that I, that I manage you. And so I can watch and record which pigs are moving other pigs away from pans of food, and then I know where they stand in the pecking order. Yeah, if it's like a human family, you just took a person, just threw them into a human family, said, here, you're part of this family now. There'd be a lot of conflict and tension and questions and weird situations yeah. coming yeah. from that, yeah. which you see in things like foster care and adoption, yeah. which is a seamless transition into the process of fostering adoption that you were talking about earlier before we start rolling with these pigs and the families that may want to take them in in their home. <laughs> That's a really good example of, of you know the human side of it is Gosh, if you pick up somebody and drop them down into, you know, a community somewhere that they know nothing about, then how are they gonna how are they gonna deal with that? And there's gonna be a lot of conflict. And that's what's happening with these pigs a lot of time. We will go to their home, we will force them into a trailer, we will drive them, you know, fifty miles to a sanctuary, and we will drop them in, you know, basically, okay, get along with these other pigs. <laughs> this is your family so, now. This is Have your family fun. now. Yeah. And it can be very it can be really stressful for them. And you mentioned a number of pigs. It was 67 pigs you have on this sanctuary plus a few other animals? We have. We currently have 67 pigs. We maxed out at 75 last year. Between 60 and 70 is a real comfortable number in terms of the space that we have. We also have right now 11 chickens. A few years ago I thought I would rescue a couple of roosters. You know, just to eat ticks and wander around the yard, and and they became aggressive because I knew nothing about roosters. I knew nothing about chickens, and the roosters got aggressive. So we did some fundraising to buy some coops and and some space for them, and we've rescued a few other chickens. There was a family of 
five hens and a rooster that we took in, two other roosters from Anne Arundel County that, that came in. A neighbor had a rooster that we took. So we have our, our share of chickens, which give it a nice kind of rural sound when the roosters are crowing and, and doing their thing. From the very beginning, I wanted to try to mimic nature as much as possible with these pigs. They generally form herds of eight to 12, and I wanted to have enough space for them to move around, do their digging and rooting. Another thing that often makes pigs not a very good pet if you have a tiny little yard or, or you like grass or like to maintain a garden, pigs will get into that and tear it up. Um, so I wanted to make sure they had enough room to move around and root and dig and do the things that pigs like to do. So for the space I have, I was able to divide into five herds. And you met a few of the special needs pigs that live in the yard around my house. So 60 to 70 was a really, was a really good number. It's funny, when we were out there, you were saying, did you see all the excavation going on? I'm thinking, I didn't see any construction coming in yeah. here or anything, but no, it's the pigs. They yeah. will just dig trenches and pits and holes and to hell with whatever you have yeah. playing for your yard. This is our home now. Yeah, and that, that has been a reason for so many surrenders. People will get a pig for their townhouse. Uh, we took a pig in a few years ago um, that lived in a townhouse in D.C., and dad was trying to have a little garden in his little townhouse backyard and the pig kept tearing it up and finally the pig had to go. Uh, the excavation I was talking about is really interesting this year. Every year they will do some springtime excavation just to, stuff is popping up out of the ground that they want to eat and so they'll do a little bit of work. This year it's on a massive scale and the only thing I can attribute it to is the cicadas that are starting to come up. They're finding some of these you know, cicadas that are emerging or working their way up through the ground at this point. And they are doing some massive excavations to, to get down into the ground to them <laughs> on a scale that I've not seen before. I know people are probably wondering what a day looks like when you have to take care of 67 pigs plus others. Yeah, so well, my day begins, I, I leave here at 9. The Wegmans in Hunt Valley has been very generous. They donate produce um, six days a week. So Mondays through Saturdays, I'll go down to Wegmans or one of my volunteers will go to Wegmans. We leave three big bins, like, like three large trash cans down there that they fill up. When those are filled, that's about 400 pounds of produce, which is enough to feed all of the pigs. So I load all of that up. I bring it back up here. Volunteers arrive right around 11 o'clock and then we spend an hour or so just processing the produce because they just put it in the bins with the wrappers and the twist ties and so and labels and all that needs to be removed and that takes an hour or so and then we have some carts and we load up the carts with the produce and then there's a cart for each herd and then off we go into the herds to feed them. They're on about a 90 to 95 percent produce diet. They also get grains from a local brewery. There's a new brewery about 10 minutes from here, Big Truck Brewery, that donate the grains from their beer making process once a week. And that's usually five or 600 pounds of grains. So before you think, is there alcohol in it? Um, I will answer that question. No, there's not. Um, <laughs> Poor pigs. What, what they do is, in the beer making process, it'll be a com depending on the beer they're making, it'll be a combination of, of rice or wheat or barley or oats or corn. And so they soak it and then they heat it up and it draws out the starch and that's what goes into the beer. And then the grains just get thrown out. It's like 
slightly cooked oatmeal or slightly cooked cereal. So that will be a meal for them one day and sometimes two days a week. And then there's one day a week where we will feed them just the commercial pellets. That's usually on Sunday. I will like for them to have the commercial pellets once a week just to make sure that they get all the vitamins and minerals that they need because it's formulated for pigs. Just to make sure they get everything they need. Although I tip, because of the variety of produce we get, I mean, I'm pretty convinced that they get everything they need from the, either from the produce or with minerals from rooting in the ground. There's a reason a pig will drink from the muddy bowl of water rather than the clean bowl of water. They're getting minerals that are in the dirt and they will get that from rooting and eating plants coming up out of the ground as well. Part of the volunteer process is, you know, check the water bowls, we'll fill the wallows. In the summertime, we'll fill the wallows. We'll fill the wading pools. Some pigs prefer wading pools, some prefer mud, some like both, some like neither. Check the straw in their hut. One of the tasks today was get all that straw delivered at round two, around for their sleeping huts. And that's a two or three hour work day. Yeah. I saw a lot of different bits of produce and scraps as we are out there. And I have a cat and I know the cat, my cat likes certain foods much better than others. Yeah. He goes crazy for canned cat foods, about some dried cat food. So what is a pig's favorite food? What thing do you bring out there and they just go, no pun, it, pun fully intended, hog wild <laughs> when they see this bag of, let's say, insert whatever that food is here. The fruits are first. So in a cart that's mixed with greens, vegetables, and fruits, they will go for the fruits first. They will pick through everything else. I mean, they'll walk past the potatoes, they'll walk past the greens looking for the fruits. Apples they love, pears, berries. So they'll go find all of that. Then they'll come back to the veggies and eat those. My guess is what you saw laying around were mostly greens, maybe broccoli. Yeah. Turnips, that, radishes, yes, some that, celery. That will that will get consumed last, if it gets consumed at all. Depending on how much they've eaten, they may or may not want it. There are some foods they will not eat, like Brussels sprouts. That breaks my heart. That's, I love Brussels sprouts. I joke all the time that nothing in nature eats the Brussels sprouts. We get, we'll get Brussels sprouts in the donation bin, in the produce bin, dump them, and a month later they're still laying on the ground. Uh, so nothing in nature eats the Brussels sprouts. Cauliflower, they don't really care for, but if you break it up, they'll they'll eat it and nibble on it. Cabbage, they don't really care for, but if you peel it apart, they may eat the leaves. Romaine lettuce, they love. The lettuces, they love. They will go for those. Onions can actually be toxic in too much of a quantity, so we don't feed them any onions. Although they could eat an onion, it'd be perfectly fine. But, you know, if we get a donation bin, if the bin has 100 onions in it, we'll just throw them all out rather than take the risk of, of feeding them. Salt can be toxic to pigs, so we don't do any processed foods for them. We've gotten, like, canned foods donated and things like that, and we have to look very carefully at the, the amount of salt that's in it to make sure they don't get too much salt. But I think your original question was what the day look like, looks like. And so that's the volunteer portion of the day from about 11 until 2, 2 or 3. My day sometimes goes a little longer. There's things that we have to get for the sanctuary. There's a whole accounting piece to it that has to be, I mean, I'm, I'm a nonprofit, so I, I solicit for donations. So there's accounting work that needs to be done. Thank you notes, you know, recording expenditures. So there's this back stuff that has to be done. But I try to find more time to, you know, maybe take a cup of coffee or an adult beverage and, you know, go out and sit with the pigs in the evening and give some attention to some pigs that don't get a lot of attention. Like the herd that 
is aggressive. A lot of volunteers just can't go in there and you can't spend a lot of time in there, but I will go down with a chair and one of the red panels to protect myself and go in and hang out with them just so they'll get a little bit of human attention. Link to donate in the show notes. Something else that I'm anxious to hear about is people talk about, let's say the dog meat festival, or I forget the name of it, or whatever in China or whatever country. I'm sorry if it's not China, I'm just stereotyping here, but the dog meat consumption in other countries yeah. that people find abominable because as Western society, we have dogs in everyday life as compassionate companions, or we see them as above or loving or however you want to look at it as part of our day-to-day -day lives. As someone whose pigs are part of your day-to-day -day life that you love all the time and you see people eating bacon or pork or things like that, how does that affect you and how do you react when you're put in those situations? It, it turns my stomach. It's just, it's horrible at this point to see that these loving, feeling, caring, thinking creatures are consumed and there's really no reason, there's no reason for them to be. I open the gates to visitors as much as I possibly can because I want people to make a connection. I want people to see that these are pigs, they're smart, they're living, they're breathing, there's no reason to consume them. So I'm hoping that people come and visit and make that connection. A lot of folks will name their pet pigs. I mean, we've had our share of pork chops and bacons and, and all those names we change when they come in. Pigs pick up their names very quickly, so I typically will keep the names that they came in with, if it's Wilbur or Annabelle or... Babe. Uh, ba yeah, but the meat-named pigs, it, those go quickly. I don't even want people to... And you see that on Facebook, con. people are constantly naming their pet pigs these cute little crispy bacons or Kevin Bacon or pork chop. You know, so they're, they're just... They're just playing into this connection between consuming the animal and, and having it as a pet. And that's a thing that I just really have a problem with. And so if you're out to eat or something, or eating with your family or over the holidays and they have pork chops there, do you, does everyone look at you or say, I barely ever eat bacon or I only eat free range? Well, with family, they know where I stand. And so, so they try their best at holidays to, you know, to, to have the enough vegetables that will keep me happy. It's hard to do when there are some of family events and friend events that I cannot attend. I can't go to cookouts. I can't go to barbecues. I can't. I have drawn the line at holidays because that's often a special occasion. I just need to go visit family. So I will soldier through that. It's really hard, you know, to look at, you know, that ham sitting there on the table. The jokes about apples in the pig's mouth and all of this just horrible. I've reduced the amount of my social interactions because I just don't want to go into restaurants where people are eating, eating animals. I think that's a really powerful thing to do because I think so many vegans or potential vegans out there feel the same way, but they feel like they have to put themselves through this torture. Yeah. And to have that bravery to say, no, I'm not going to be complicit even in my yeah. silence in these situations yeah. means a lot. Yeah, can't do it. I mean, just, just I just can't do it. Yeah, I mean, I know vegans who have meat-eating spouses. I don't understand how that can work. I just don't understand how, how can you do that every, I mean, how do you sit down at a table with someone who's doing something that you're so opposed to? But I know several folks who are, who are like that and they managed to make those relationships work. I couldn't, I'm not sure I could even be attracted to someone at this point who ate meat or consumed animals in any way. It's, it would be really, it would be, it would be impossible. 
I mean, I'm not going to pretend that, that there would even be, you know, a spark there. And I don't want anyone out there who's maybe in a relationship with someone who's not vegan feeling like they're what they're doing is wrong. Everyone's vegan journey and lifestyle is completely <laughs> different. So you have to do whatever works for you <laughs> in your unique situation. There's no one size fits all vegan lifestyle <laughs> and yours works for you. Someone else's <laughs> may work for someone else's. But on to less depressing <laughs> topics. I'm sure you have a million stories of awesome things your pigs have done. But I'm sure there's one or two that really stick out in your head as, man, this is why I do this kind of moments. So do you have any stories about your non-human companions that really reinforce why you're so passionate about your work? You've heard me today talk about Peaches. Peaches has come up a couple of times. Uh, Peaches was a 600-pound pig that we offered to transport. She was uh, rescued from this terrible situation where she was actually on her way to Mexico to, to with horses to a slaughterhouse. And we were asked to transport uh, to another sanctuary, which um, for, for a variety of reasons, they had to back out taking her. So we ended up with this 600-pound pig that I'm not even allowed to have my permit for the sanctuary sanctuary is only for potbelly pigs and not for the commercial or the farm pigs or the big pigs. So she just tore everything up. She just did so much damage and I learned so much from her. It turned out she was pregnant so she had six piglets. She was an amazing mother. Her purpose in life up to that point had been to be a breeder to produce piglets for bacon. She was a Berkshire. Every litter that she'd ever had, and she probably had three a year, were taken away and then processed. When she had her piglets here, she was just this most amazing, caring mother who was really protective with them. I had to keep all the volunteers and visitors away from her because if you tried to touch one of those piglets, she would come at you. And there's a couple of folks with stories of, of her giving them a headbutt. One, one lady, she flung up against the fence. She was very attentive to those piglets. Finally, after five weeks, the vet said, okay, they have to stop nursing, pull them off. So I had to put the piglets like in a space way over there and mama in a space way back here. The vet just said, yeah, just day. have them stop. It's no, no problem. <sighs> Every day she would bust out of her space, go over a tree that had fallen over the fence, push through another fence line, just to get to where she to a point where she could see the piglets. She didn't bust through the fence into the piglets. She just needed to get to where she could see them. And there were times where I'd go out there, she had pushed her way all the way around and was just laying on one side of the fence and the piglets were on the other side of the fence. All she wanted to do was, was to get to them. That taught me so much about pig behavior. That was one of those experiences in life that I would never want to repeat, but I am so happy that I had the chance to experience that. So she was she was an amazing one. My first two pigs were Willie and Gordy. They just taught me a lot because they were my first pigs and I had knew nothing about taking care of pigs. Willie and Gordy I've always described as the two smartest pigs ever. They pointed out my mistakes in fence building, for example. So when we were putting the fence together today, you know, we were doing the zip ties, and if you don't do the zip ties properly, you know, they'll pop open. So I can still see 10 years ago, Willie, you know, sitting in a corner watching me work on a fence corner. I went, came inside to do something, came out, he had pushed it open, and had gone off into the woods somewhere to hang out. So I finally got him back, got him back into his space, the next day, I went out, he had pushed another corner open and had gone out into the woods somewhere just to hang out and came back. That taught me how smart they are. He was watching me build that fence. He was, he was watching me make the mistakes. He was looking for the weak areas. He was looking for the weak spots. 
where he could push that fence open and go and do a little exploring. So that was kind of my first introduction to how really clever they are. And I've always used the word clever because they can, their smarts can get them into trouble like that. But that really taught me how, really how clever and smart they can be. Well, like Peaches is in the place she's meant to be. It sounds like you're in the place you're meant to be as well. And if someone wants to be part of this also and help you with your work in any way, how can they get a hold of you or learn more? The quickest way to reach us is by texting the sanctuary number, which is 410-301-9866. You could reach us through our Facebook page fairly quickly. Because I get so many requests to take pigs, I typically don't answer the phone when it rings, so the quickest way to reach me is just text me on that on the sanctuary phone or emailing. You can email us as well. It's jeff.lambert at wrfas.org. The letters are the initials for the sanctuary, Whispering Rise Farm Animal Sanctuary, wrfas.org. We're always in search for volunteers. Weekends are pretty well staffed, but we can always squeeze somebody in to work somewhere. I'm really in need of some weekday volunteers right now. So if you have some free time in the middle of the day to help process produce, want to hang out with some pigs, feel that pig magic, come out and spend two or three hours with us and you'll be happy that you did. Well, we were feeling the pig magic today because right now the Animal Advocates were in the middle of our Compassion Continues campaign. And part of that is creating compassion in the community by helping out human animals and non-human animals like all your pigs on the farm. So thank you so much for hosting us today. It was great hanging out with everyone. It was great getting to meet you. It was great hearing your story. And if anyone wants to get hold of the Be Kind Podcast team, email us at BeKindPodcast at gmail.com. But I'll give you the final words for our listener at home. Thank you for coming today. I really appreciate all the help you guys did today. My, my final word is pigs make great and amazing pets. They make wonderful pets. Do your research first. Don't get caught up in what breeders will tell you. Stay off the pet pig pages on Facebook. Contact us. We will walk you through the process of, of having a couple of pigs for pets. Uh, we will help you set up your space. And again, come for a visit. Come experience the pig magic. Uh, we'd be delighted to have you, and we think it could be life-changing for you. So, thanks much. Oh, thank you for all you do, and thank you for listening. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Be Kind Podcast, presented by the Animal Advocates of South Central Pennsylvania.